I didn't say say like for uh, the correct response was so. <laughs> no, just, <laughs> you want to sit? Go ahead and sit. That's fine. I don't mind. You want stand? You can stand. It's uh, it is great, great to be here with you this morning. Great to to be back. Uh, you know, as Ryan said, we've been we were away for a couple of weeks out on a holiday as a family, Lisa and Levi and I, and uh, back in town. You guys can sit too if you want. I don't mind. But I, actually, if you want to stand, would be even better because I feel like I got a posse then, and then it's like. Anyway, um, if anything goes down, yeah, okay. Um, but uh, we've been away on a on a holiday, and uh, and that was fantastic. We 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 took a a cruise together, which was awesome. Uh, we'd not done that ever as a family, and and Lisa and I did it on our honeymoon actually 15 years ago. Uh, I know you're all like, she get married at like 15? What? I know, it's amazing. But. Uh, We've been away, but it is just so good to be back, and it's so great to just be here uh, celebrating and, and gathering with you all this morning. Uh, you know, as I mentioned that, that idea, you know, we, we will, uh, Lisa and I will have been married for 15 years uh, this December, uh, 15 years, and that's a, it's a little while. You know, we realized, like, kind of from the last time we did a holiday like this 15 years ago to doing it this time, like, a lot's changed in our lives. And, uh, I mean, like, not, a lot has changed. I still look identical, but <laughs> you couldn't tell which pictures are which. But, you know, a lot's changed. And, you know, it's kind of amazing, you know, when you think about, like, life, you're always kind of changing. You don't realize it sometimes. Sometimes you have sort of markers and moments that, that you realize, like, actually, we're, we're different. Time's going on. Like, how we just keep on changing. You know, yesterday we were talking, uh, we were driving uh, together in the car, and, and we were talking about the weather. It was a beautiful day yesterday, wasn't it? Just like uh, amazing, wasn't it? And we were talking about oh, what a beautiful day it was. And then we started talking about, you know, like we talk about the weather a lot. Like you ever, do you ever realize like you talk about the weather a lot? And, and I'm like, when did that happen in life? Like we, we're, we're always like, ah, how the, boy, it's a beautiful day today. What's the weather? I wonder what it will be like tomorrow. We talk about the weather. Like we didn't 15 years ago. I don't feel like we talked about the weather nearly as much. You know, I, I remember being in university and going on road trips with roommates and tennis teammates and that kind of thing. We would go on drives for hours and hours. I never once remember us saying, hey, look at the weather. This is really, this is just a beautiful day. What do you think the weather was? Like something happened. Like how, do, how did this change kind of, how, how is it as you go, like the things you think about, the things you talk about? They all changed. On, on the cruise that we were on, uh, they have different competitions. And I don't, I don't want to brag today. My point is not to, to brag about my accomplishments, but I did win a medal <laughs> on the cruise. Yeah, I didn't, uh, I didn't bring it because it's already underneath glass and key at home. I hadn't won a medal in quite some time, to be honest. But I won a medal for the 90s Name That Tune competition. And I was, thank you, I know, it's pretty, you may have, you may have, I, I suppose some of you may have read about it online, a lot of buzz about it anyway. But I, I won that, and I, I was, you know, and, and, and the other guy came down to a, a tie between myself and another guy. We were born in very similar years, I'll say that. And, uh, but, you know, it was kind of funny, do you know, like, sometimes, you know, people around me will kind of tease me or joke with me that I'm stuck in the 90s, and that, like, all the music and everything I like is from that era, and, and, I, and I noticed, like, uh, you know, it, it can get like that sometimes. Maybe you have an era or decade of music you really love, 
and you could win a medal in that era. Or maybe it's the TV shows, and you're like, man, the TV shows from this era, they're like my favorite. And there's nothing, there's no music as good today as what they had back then. Or there's, there's no TV shows that are as good now. It's all just kind of, you know, just, it's just not as good. It's not as quality. It's just kind of come up with by producing. It's all just to, just to make money. There's no art. There's no heart. To, you know, if you ever had that conversation... I think I had that conversation probably with my dad when I tried to introduce him to my music in the 90s. And he would tell me about the music of the 60s and, and how it was so much better. And we got some. We got somebody. Somebody says that's it. How many people would give an amen to the music of the 60s? How many to the 70s? Less. How many to the music of the 80s? I expected some. How many know that the 90s is where it's at? Come on, we got. And how many can agree that everything on the radio today is just lame? Because <laughs> all the kids like music on the radio over here Friday night. So they, here's the thing. It's kind of funny, you know. I, I, I really, I love the music of my era. We all love the music of our eras, what we grew up with, what we love. But do you know what? All of us, and this is the thing I realized, the danger zone is I'm like, you know, I never wanted to be, I don't know how it happened that I'm now like telling people I love the music from, you know, 25 years ago. That's the best, you know. But what I never wanted to happen, and I'm like, oh, I hope this is not, am I turning into one of those people who actually is like that? No, no, no. Only this is so good. The music that I liked was the best. The stuff today, it's, you know, it ain't got the same soul. You know, it's like, is that the kind of person uh that was like for the 80s people or the 70s, uh, late 70s. Or anyway, today's music ain't got the same soul. I like that. There's, okay, all right. You guys, that's what we got, at least a little bit. I don't think you guys should do name that tune. But um, here's the thing. Never do you kind of set out to like, well, that's how I'll be. I'll always like this music and I'll always think it's the best. Never do you set out, none of us kind of set out to be like, I hope I'm that guy who's always like, oh, it was better when I was a kid. It was, you know, your stuff's no good. You should, if you want to listen to good. None of us set out to be that. And I'm hoping and praying I won't be that. But life is kind of funny if you're not intentional about who you want to become and the things you want to do. It's really easy, kind of just time goes. And you can actually wake up one day and you're sort of like, whoa, when did this happen? When did I become the person who just likes to talk about the weather? When did I become the person who's saying, you know what, that music's no good. This is if you want real. When did I become, it's like as time goes by, what, and the, the worst thing that can happen, because I'm like, I don't want to become, you know, you know, years on in another 15, in another 30 years, or another whatever years. I, I know this, I don't want to be that person going, no, everything for the last seven. It's, we got to go back to 1990 to find anything of any stuff. I don't want to be. That person. But the danger in life, we're not careful about who we do want to become. You know, time just kind of rolls on. And we can end up sometimes becoming somebody we never expected or hoped or really kind of wanted to become. Now, this is not such a big deal when it comes to our taste and preference in music. As you saw from our, our sort of vote, the 90s were clearly the best. So it's not important. Well, I'm just joking. I'm just kidding. I just said it's not important. It's not. It's not when it comes to our, our taste, our preference. But you know what? The bigger picture of this, and this is where we're going to, today's our last week of the six-week journey, our last week of this How's Your Soul. It's, it's our last time kind of leaning in on this subject. And can I tell you something? It, when it comes to some of these things, our preference, this and that, or, or some of the things we like to talk about, don't, it's not a, it's in the big, what is a big deal 
is to think about when I think about my soul and my heart and who it's becoming, am I being intentional? And am I being really clear about where my soul is headed? We're going to ask this question today. Where is my soul headed? You know, just as we as people are always growing and changing and time marches on and life happens and comes and is going, just as that is always marching on, our souls are always headed somewhere. In our inner being, we are becoming someone. And the choices and decisions we make from, from young to old will all influence who we become on the inside. And in lots of ways, whether we have a soul that is getting larger and bigger and more full of joy and more full of peace and more full of the, the fruits of the Spirit, whether our soul is getting larger as we go through life, or is our soul in some ways, can it get smaller? Is it be, are we becoming on the inside who we hope to be? This is a question we're going to look at today because all of us will go through life and experience a whole range of positive or challenging experiences of life. And how we encounter those and deal with those will in many ways shape where our soul is headed. So we're going to think about this question this morning, especially as we wrap up this series. I want to just read you a verse uh, that comes from Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. It's one of the great invitations that uh, Jesus gives and, and speaks into our souls when he stands and proclaims this. It's, it's a well-known kind of verse. You may have heard it before. Jesus said these words. He said, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus uh, gives this incredible invitation. You know what? will really matter on the inside and in our hearts and in our souls. Fundamentally, what Jesus is saying is if you want uh, your soul to be healthy, if you want uh, to find rest for your soul, peace for your soul, uh, a healthy, flourishing soul, it's found very simply in coming to Jesus. And Jesus says, just come to me and then learn from me. And I'll show you how to do life. And I'll show you how to make decisions. And you hook your, take my yoke upon you. You get up next to me like a couple cattle plowing a field together. And I'm going to put my yoke on you. And you're going to learn from me and we'll do life together. And you're going to learn how to live and how to, how to plow and how to go through life and what it's all about. It's an invitation to Christ-likeness, to, to learning about life from Jesus himself. And he says, that's how you're going to find rest when you come to me. This is where life is to be found. I love this invitation, and it reminds us that, you know, the thing that matters most in life, the thing that will make the greatest difference in our soul to find rest, peace, flourishing, a healthy soul, will be how we respond to this invitation of Jesus. And it goes out to not, not one, not a few, but all. All who are weary, all who are heavy laden, anyone, anywhere, anytime. If you want to find that health for your soul, that rest for your soul, come to me, Jesus says. And learn from him. Now what I think is amazing about these verses is Jesus, you know, he, he lived the perfect life. 
Bible tells us he became human. He became like one of us. And he experienced everything that we as humans experience, but never sinned, never did anything wrong, never made the bad decision. He got it all right, 100%, lived the life none of us could live. But yet experience the same challenges of life that we do. And I think so when we think about how do I make sure that my life, that, that when I get older and, when I, and as I travel through life, that I stay in that space. I think this is one of those spaces we can learn from Jesus. How he dealt with, what we're going to look today is how Jesus dealt with some of the, let's call it the challenges that come in life. Some of the relational challenges that come in life. You see, Jesus, you know, you know one of the things that will end up, uh, challenging us more than anything else as we go through life and to stay healthy and flourishing on the inside. The greatest pains that we will encounter in this life are usually relational in nature. Uh, it, it, the, the things that we experience through relationships can be our points of greatest hurt, and they can also be our points of greatest healing. But the things in life that will end up uh, really having an impact on our soul are going to so often come through human relationships. You know, you can have things in life that let you down. Uh, you can have a car that won't start when you wanted it to start. You can have a, a computer that crashes when you didn't want it to crash. You can have stuff that just doesn't work. And it will frustrate you, but it will not hurt your soul the way another person can. And when we think about where our soul is headed, one of the things we've got to ask ourselves is how, on our journey towards wholeness and health and flourishing souls, how how do we deal with some of the challenges we'll experience relationally as we travel through life? Jesus was no stranger to this. In fact, what is amazing about that invitation that he sends out to everyone is something of the context in which it is given. Do you know, if you back up, we're going to back up for a few minutes here. We're going to back up earlier in Matthew chapter 11. And there's a particular kind of place in the scriptures where that invitation is put. And it comes on the heels of some of the greatest relational or and the greatest kind of personal, some of the greatest kind of uh, rejection moments that Jesus could have been feeling. If you go back uh, just before he's going to launch into that, Jesus is talking uh, about himself and his good friend and cousin John the Baptist. And he's talking about how people are perceiving John the Baptist and himself uh, and he's talking about how, how you know, people are, are missing it. And, and, and there's a lot of people that Jesus knew and walked, was trying to teach. And he was trying to point them to God. And they were looking at him. And, and they were the people that he had come for and the, the people he'd come to. But so often what he found was not acceptance but rejection. In fact, he says these words when he's talking about John the Baptist. He says, John, he says, you guys didn't like John. He says that he came neither eating nor drinking. They say he has a demon. John was like a real kind of extreme personality. He was known for being out in the desert, wearing camel hair, eating locusts. You know, he was so, he lived a really ascetic kind of, I'm going to just fast, do all these things in extreme ways because that's what God's call was on his life. And Jesus says, so John comes and he's just like, I am out there for, Christ, for God in these ways. And he doesn't eat, he doesn't drink, he's got rigorous fasting, all these things. And he says, and you guys say he's got a demon. That's what you say about John. How many people know what it feels like to have somebody say something about you that's just not true? And how hard that can be. Or how much that can hurt. That was John's experience. And Jesus says, the son of man, he's talking about himself. He says, I come eating and drinking, and what do people say about me? They say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. 
Jesus says, so he doesn't eat. I do eat. I'm always at tables eating and drinking. And you say about him, oh, he must have a demon. He shouldn't be like that. I come and I eat and I drink. And you say, oh, he's a glutton and a drunkard. He's a friend of He's a bad guy. Jesus knew what it was to experience rejection. I, I want you to get this at the beginning of this today. Jesus knew what it was to experience rejection. Jesus knew what it was to have the people he cared about speak ill of him. Say things that, that can hurt, that can wound. The greatest wounds in life are not, you know, we as kids, we say sticks and stones may break my, ne- my bones, but names will never hurt me. You know, we say this phrase and we act like it's true as, as parents or adults. Or, and when everybody knows, like, man, words hurt far more than sticks and stones. They leave more long-lasting scars. They're more painful. And Jesus knew what it was to feel that. Knew what it was to get rejection. You know what he... He goes on from here, and he, and he actually, in verse 21, he's talking about some of the people who rejected him, and he says this. He says, woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. And he's talking about these cities and these places where he'd done lots of miracles. And he says, woe to you. This is not good. Woe to you, Bethsaida. You never want Jesus to say woe to you. It's not positive beginning. He says, woe to you. For if the mighty works done in you have been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment of Tyre and Sidon than for you. Jesus says, woe to you. He's going to speak these woes out to some of these places where people have rejected him. And he's saying, you know, this is not good. Your rejection, you won't, you're, I, I've come, I've taught. You're waiting for the Messiah. Here I am. I've come and I'm, I'm, I'm teaching you and I'm leading you. I'm doing signs, stuff that people of other generations would have given anything to see. In spite of all of it, you're just rejecting me. And he says, this is not good. Because Jesus knows that the one thing they need more than anything else is to come to him. Is to find rest for their souls in him. Now here's what I want you to see. When we experience Moments of rejection. When we experience relational pain, if you will, of almost any kind, there are always kind of a couple of options of how we can respond. Jesus knew what it was to have these people speak ill of him. He knew what it was to have people turn away from him. He knew what it was to feel the pain that only uh, people can inflict on, on one another. And yet somehow Jesus, through all of this, stays Jesus, stays the full, perfect God that he is. Which is so different than how often we as people can react in those situations. Do you know what the temptation, one of the greatest temptations is? When we experience hurt or rejection or pain or anything like that in, uh, you know, in life, maybe it's just disappointment in life, disappointment in another person, how they treat us, disappointment in how life circumstances worked out. Uh, it doesn't have to be just kind of just those what people say about us. But when we experience and encounter the, the kind of pain and difficulty that life can sometimes throw at us, one of the greatest temptations we have is to almost allow our heart and our soul to, to shrink a little bit or to come inward a little bit. I want you to imagine for a moment that it's almost like your soul is a circle. And if you've ever had this experience where let's say someone said something about you and it, and it hurt you or someone let you down or disappointed you, one of the great temptations is if we think about our heart and our soul is to say it's almost like we've got this, this circle that's our heart and our soul. And, and when they hurt us, we almost kind of go, you know what, I'm going to draw that circle just a little bit smaller 
to keep you on the outside of it. And I'm not going to, you know what, you've heard me, my, my reaction, the way I'm going to process this, deal with it, it's like I'm going to draw that circle a little bit smaller and say, well, I'm going to keep you out there, and I'm not going to let you hurt me again. Now, you do that once, and maybe there's a person who, who hurt you or offended you or disappointed you, and you draw that circle a little bit smaller. You know, it's a little bit smaller. Maybe you don't even notice at first that it's a little bit smaller. But what happens over life, and as life goes on and time goes by, if that becomes the pattern and habit of your life, that every time you experience encounter disappointment, encounter frustration, encounter hurt, you draw that circle a little bit smaller, you can end up years down the track somebody you never intended to be. In my family, sometimes growing up, probably usually around Christmas time, but if somebody was, you know, being grumpy or a little bit short or a little bit whatever, I'd be like, come on, don't be such a Grinch. Now how many people know the Grinch? Now the Grinch, if you watch the cartoon, you know, you know that the Grinch ended up in a place in life that he never intended. He, uh, the, the famous kind of picture of the Grinch in, 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 the, in the cartoon or in the, the storybook version of it is that the Grinch, you know, he doesn't like the singing of Christmas. He doesn't like the joy of Christmas, the presents. He doesn't like any of it. He doesn't come to Summerlee carols or Heathridge carols or nothing. He just doesn't like any of it. And, uh, and he, and the picture of him, and this is the picture, I think, in some way. And the picture of the Grinch is that his heart and they get a little magnifying glass to kind of show you his heart is so small that you can't even see it because it's just so shrunk. And, and that's like, and so he's grumpy and he's this and he's that. And it's almost like when we think about when you begin to sort of shrink on the inside or you begin to react and respond, I'm going to cut you off. Or I'm going to draw it. I'm going to enclose. I'm going to bring myself a little bit small. What can happen? It's like your soul's like his heart. It just gets smaller and smaller and smaller. There's no room for love, and there's no room for joy, and there's no room for so much of what makes life amazing. But the, the, the real challenge is how do we keep from being people who always, who, who over the course of life and hurts and disappointments, how, how do we make sure that our hearts stay big and large and overflowing? That they are like a, you know, the, the Bible says your heart is the wellspring of life. Guard your heart. It's a wellspring of life. It should be big and overflowing. But life can sometimes make us want to shrink it. In fact, if you ever saw the origin story of the Grinch, and if you ever see live action one, but with, with Jim Carrey, like real people, give me a little nod so I know. Otherwise, I'll start at the beginning. So basically, the first scene opens up, and uh, and you can't quite see him. You're like, what is that guy? Anyway, no, it's uh, what you find out is that the Grinch didn't start out like this guy with a tiny little heart. He was a kid like you and like me who got his feelings hurt at school, and, and what did he want? And so he isolates himself, and he runs to the hills, and he ends up just gradually over time turning from a nice young kid into the Grinch. None of us want to in any way grow up to be the kind of person people are like, oh, man, that's a bit of a, bit of a Grinch, bit of a grump, bit of a, none of us want to end up there, do they? Do we? No. Look, at least... 4% of us clearly do not want to <laughs> clearly do not want to end up in that space. And so for you 4%, here is what we're going to talk. How do we make sure that never happens? 
It never happened to Jesus as his followers that he invites to be like him. How do we make sure it doesn't happen to us? Jesus, what did you do when people said those things about you? Jesus, how did you handle it when people just rejected you, wouldn't listen no matter what you said, no matter what you did? They just, how did he handle it? I want you to see, and this is, we think about where is my, our soul headed. If we can learn from this particular moment, I think, in scriptures, how Jesus handled it, we can actually find an incredibly great and yet simple pathway to make sure we live lives where our hearts grow larger, our soul grows larger, where we don't shrink it down and end up someplace we never wanted to be. Because this is how Jesus responds. After he, he does his woes, and he's telling them. And it'd be easy to see those woes and think, you know, this is Jesus just going, all right, you want to say that? Well, let me let you have it. This is Jesus saying to those people and to everyone, it is not good to reject me. He knows he is the one answer to their hearts and souls. And he is not lashing out out of vengeance, but he's saying this is not good. We know that what he wants most for them is for them to come to him. Because it's not long after he'll invite everyone to him. But listen to what he says immediately after those woes. It says, at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Do you know what is amazing about this moment as Jesus transitioned? This is what they're saying about me. This is the frustration. This is, these are people, they won't listen, all these things. The first then kind of words almost on the back of this is he comes into a prayer where he says thank you to his heavenly father. Can I tell you something? If we learn to in any moment of disappointment, frustration, challenges in life, things that might make us want to otherwise say, I'm going to just draw the circle a little bit smaller. I'm going to take a step back. I'm going to just put up my, if we could become people who respond to all of the challenges and pains of disappointments of life with these words of thank you, Father, it would transform our experience of them and it would transform our hearts. Jesus says, you know, it would be, we'd want to be like, God, this is, you know, Father, I am frustrated as I can be with these people. You mean I did all this stuff and nothing? You mean after all the work I've done, I spent the, I'm going and I'm eating with the tax collectors. And now they're just saying that I'm wrong for that. And I'm, I'm putting myself on the line. I'm doing all. That's how the temptation for us as humans would have been to respond. But Jesus responds with, thank you, Father. Thank you that you are at work in this world. Thank you that, if, if, that for every person who is willing to make themselves like a child and say, I don't know it all. I don't have it figured out. That, Father, you reveal yourself to him. Thank you, Lord. He finds a reason for thanksgiving even in that moment. Do you know, in, in your life and mine, sometimes we're like, okay, Dean, you know, life. I want to make sure I end up where I'm meant to be when I'm 15, when I'm 25, when I'm 45, when I'm 65, when I'm 75 or 85. I want to get there. I want to be the person God wants for me to be. So what does God want me to do? What's his will for me? Do you know one of the, the great verses in the scriptures give us for God's will for us? In 1 Thessalonians 5.18, it says, give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do you know, most of us, we may not know much about life and what we're supposed to do or how God wants us to, or where he wants us to go, or what he wants us to, but we do know this. What God wants for all of us, all the time, in all circumstances, 
is to give thanks. Is to be people with grateful hearts. Is to be people who are always looking for finding not a reason why things are so bad, but even in the midst of challenging times to find things that we can be thankful for. Because guess what? When your heart is full, when it's full of thanksgiving, there's no room for bitterness. There's no room for, for just frustration and disappointment. There's no room for self-pity when we're in places of thanksgiving. And when our hearts are full of thanksgiving, it's like instead of getting smaller, they grow larger. Thanksgiving has a way of making your world larger. It has a way of making your perspective larger. And almost, I had a, a teacher in high school used to always say this phrase. I don't know if this was said other places, but whenever we complain about anything, she'd say, well, could be worse. It's, it's better than a stick in your eye. Was that a phrase? Is that a generational thing? Is that a like, man, teachers today don't have good sayings. When I was a kid, they'd say stuff like that that meant something. And it did. It's a great saying. Well, you know what? When you think things are so bad, guess what? It's probably better than having it. It's like there's few things in life that feel like they could be worse than actually having a stick jabbed in your eye. And suddenly, suddenly, when you begin to open up your perspective and say, well, this is not so good, but I thank you, Lord, that there is no stick jabbed into my eye right now. Yeah, actually, that's pretty good. Lord, thank you. Thank you. All that frustration, all that anger, all that I want to get you back, all that. No, Lord, thank you. Thank you. Thankfulness brings perspective. Thankfulness lets our heart get larger. Thankfulness makes room for, and thankfulness will change the kind of people that we will become. If we can learn to, in any and every situation, be people who are full of grateful hearts, it will transform any experience we're going through. And likewise, if we choose to, in any circumstance, in every situation, just to refuse to turn that direction, it's like we miss something at the very core of God's will for our lives. To be people who say thank you in every situation. And the second thing that we see, so one, if, if we could imagine the kind of people we become, imagine the kind of bigger hearts, imagine the fuller life, imagine the, the wellspring that would come in people whose hearts overflow with thanksgiving, who in every situation look for something to say thank you God for. And the second thing we see that Jesus does here, What's so amazing is that on the heels of all of this, on the heels of people saying, we don't want you, on the heels of these people saying, you know, we're not going to believe, on the heels of these people saying, no matter how much you've shown us or done, it's still not enough for us, on the heels of them saying, well, Jesus, you're just a glutton and a drunkard, on the heels of all of this, what does Jesus say? It's just those couple short verses later that he says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You know, it's on, the, the thing that's so incredible about this invitation to every person of Jesus saying, come to me all, anybody, listen. He says, you know what, for anyone who is feeling weary and burdened and they, they, you know you need something and you know you need some rest, he says, for all of you, come to me. You know, none of us are Jesus and none of us can say, hey, this will be the answer that I can bring to another person. But do you know what we can do that Jesus does here is that in any and every situation to say thank you and to say this second phrase, how can I help? 
what Jesus turns to and what Jesus always turned to was how can I serve? The, the Son of Man didn't come, you know, to, to be a king and to be waited on, but he came to be a servant. And Jesus throughout his, here, what he's saying is, how can I help? Listen, I'm going to look for, just like Jesus, like, you know who I'm going to look for? Instead of, like, staying in this space or frustrated or angry or hurt or just whatever here, I'm going to look for who are the people I can help? Who's feeling heavy burden? Who's feeling weighed down? Who's looking for some rest? If you will come to me, I'll teach you to be like me. You can learn to live like me, and you will find rest for your soul. Can you imagine how things would change in our lives if every time we felt tempted to, to look at who's hurt us? I mean, sometimes the easiest thing is to sort of feel like, oh, man, they're not helping me. You know, we have a hard time. Things aren't going well. Or, or we feel like, well, no one's helping me. Or, you know, what? why should I help them? They didn't help me. But if we actually, in times of hurt and pain or all those things, began to be people who just say, how can I help? Who can I help? Yes, I've experienced some rough things myself, but actually I want to hold on to the mindset that Jesus had and say, I come not to be served, but to serve. So who out there can I say, you know what? Actually, how can I help you? How can I serve you? How can I take my eyes off of myself and my challenges and begin to look outward and say, you know what this does? When we become people who say, how can I help? Instead of being people who start to retract and to go back and isolate, but that we are willing to say, you know what? How can I help? We become people whose hearts get larger. The circle gets drawn bigger. Uh, we become these people with, like, thankful hearts and who are constantly looking and saying, it's not about what's been done to me, but it's about how can I serve? Who can I help? How do I get my eyes off myself and onto someone else? You know, in our culture and in our world, we have this phrase, you know, live in large, you know, and, and when we say live in large, we, we kind of get this picture of, you know, like when you're living large, you know, you've got the car, you've got the house, you've got the, the holiday house too, and the holiday house has a holiday car, and you're living large, and you've got the big screen TV, and you've got the soundtrack, and you've got, it's all happening. You're living large. we got this picture in our world of something that looks like living large. You know, you've just kind of got it all. You've arrived. You've got. The thing about the way living large looks in our culture and our world is it's all about, it's all me. It's all what do I have. It's all my stuff, and where am I going? What have I gotten? Jesus model for life is, is instead of kind of, oh, I've got this, I'm living large, it's, 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 what does it look like to be big people with big souls and big hearts? And people who have these, these hearts full of thanksgiving for whatever we've got. And, and people who have these hearts full of thanksgiving and no matter what the circumstances. People who have these hearts that are constantly saying, it's not about me and how much I can get. It's about how can I serve others? How can I use my life to bless others? And not just when it's easy and not just when it's convenient, but when I'm feeling the most frustrated or the most hurt or the most disappointed that we choose not to be people who go inward and draw the circle a little bit smaller, but that we constantly look outward to say, Lord, what can I, I thank you for this. And Lord, would you help me to see someone who I could get alongside of and take my eyes off me and put my eyes on them. And in the scriptures, that's what a big life looks like. It's about having a, it's about being 
big people with big hearts, full of thanksgiving, full of an outward focus, full of who can I serve? You know, Jesus, we are called, he says, come to me, you're going to learn from me. You're going to learn from me how to live. I'm going to put my yoke on you. We're going to do life together. I'm going to actually show you how to be like me. And none of us can be perfectly like Jesus. The only reason any of us can begin to say, I'll be thankful in hard times, or I will help someone when I want to turn. The only reason we could do it is because Jesus has already done it on our behalf. But he calls us to now live like him. Can I tell you what the world needs, what the world is crying out for, who we are called to be as the church, is to be big people with big hearts who choose to always draw the circle larger when others would be tempted to draw it smaller. Jesus himself, the greatest picture of this, all the way, final breath on the cross, nothing but hurt and harm, nothing but suffering what he never should have had to on other people's behalf, nothing but taking the very worst of what humanity could throw at him. And with his dying breath hanging there, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Draws the biggest circle, including literally every person who's ever lived. The biggest circle that could ever be drawn. This is Jesus, and it's Jesus who says, now come and learn to live like me. Where are our souls headed? Is your life on a trajectory? Is it on the road to becoming a bigger and fuller, more grateful more servant-minded, a more outward-looking? Is it on the trajectory to being a heart that is looking more and more like Jesus? It will only happen as we make very intentional decisions. Because the natural flow of life makes us want to lash out or shrink back. But when we realize we have a Savior who's done this on our behalf, who's always drawn that circle larger, and he's given us his spirit, and he's called us to put his yoke around us, to do life with him, to live like him. That is how we become people who throughout the course of life, no matter what happens to us, our hearts grow larger and fuller every day, every season. You know, I want to pray for us in a moment, invite the team back up. But as we come towards the end of this series, the, the six-week journey, how's your soul? We've had this kind of incredible few weeks here together to think about, you know what, actually how is my life on the inside? How is my heart? How is my soul? Because where we end up in life will always be an outward working of what's taken place in our heart and in our soul. And it's not like you do, a, well, we did six weeks, I thought about my soul, now I'm kind of good to go. My soul's good, I've got a certificate and I did the six weeks. And now I'm good. A healthy, flourishing soul is a continual choice in how we respond to the circumstances and challenges that life will throw our way. And when you think about where is your soul headed, can I tell you something? I think I love the simplicity of this idea that if in every and any situation we become a people who say, thank you, and how can I help? It's transformative. And my hope is that as we finish this series, that we won't be a people who just kind of, that was great and that was then, but actually, no, we're, we become a different kind of people. And we become a kind of people who, when things happen, we begin to ask, you know, actually, what's this doing to my heart? What's this doing to my soul? And we talk about it with some other people and we get around tables and we get used to those conversations. 
so that one day, 10, 20, 15, 30, 40, whatever it is, years down the road, maybe we'll say, you know what, I'm, by the grace of God in my life, I'm becoming the person I was hoping I would. Because I chose to put Jesus' yoke on me and say, I want to learn from you. Help me to do this like you did this, Jesus. Would you stand up? Would you stand up with me? And, and I want to pray for you as we finish this series. And then we're going to sing together. And over these next few minutes, I want to encourage you to let this be a, a space where you connect with the living God. In fact, I want to encourage you for a moment. Why don't you just bow your head and just close your eyes. And, and maybe across this whole six weeks, if you've been here through this whole kind of journey, maybe across it there's some things that God's highlighted to you about your heart and about your soul. And maybe there's something today that you just know, you know what, there's, there's, there's some places in there where I need to actually let go of some bitterness and make room for some thanksgiving or I need to let go uh, of something that is lodged there so that I can allow God's spirit to fill my heart and to grow it. But I want to give you a few minutes to maybe just just listen to whatever God might say to you. To maybe say to him, you know, Lord, I want to I want to I go through life the way Jesus did. I want to learn from you, Lord Jesus. Maybe you just want to invite him and ask him today, would you just put that yoke around me? Would you teach me? Would you show me? Would you show me the, the moments and spaces in my days and what's going on right now, how I can live it out, how I can walk it out the way you would have if you were there, Lord Jesus. Not because I'm strong enough or good enough or able enough, but because, Jesus, you have placed your yoke on me, your spirit inside me, and you're going to enable me to do it.